Have you been red-pilled? Have you taken the red pill? Red pill, the pill that awakens you to the reality of the world. It is a term that comes from the 1999 movie, The Matrix, where Morpheus offers Neo a choice between a red pill or a blue pill. Um, the red pill would lead to life-changing truth, or the blue pill would lead you, um, I'm sorry, would leave you as you are in accepted reality. Neo takes the red pill. Currently it is used when approved narrative doesn't match with what we see in our world. Seeing that disconnect is called being red-pilled. Currently a new term is also being used and that is black-pilled hopelessness. In looking at the current events, you see only evil and doom and no way out. A few weeks ago, I heard Michael Malice talk about a new pill, the white pill, the pill of hope. You got to keep up with all these pills. Um, <laughs> when he was promoting his book by the same title, in reading the book now, I am still in the black pill of terrible bloodshed in the Soviet Union. But on the back of the book cover, he explains that it is important um, for good to never give up hope. This is the white pill, hope. For malice, the white pill is a, an idea of good winning freedom by hope and perseverance. As Christians, we have a far greater hope than the one that trusts in man to do what's right. Our hope is in Christ. In one hymn, uh, um, as one hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. All believers share a time when Christ met them on their life journey. Mine was when I was eight years old, and on the surface um, looks nothing like Paul's experience in our text today. But the same Jesus came to me as I was answering Bible questions for a Bible correspondence course from Rural Bible Mission. The correspondence course was given to me by a couple, Charles and Maxine Brooks, who went to my church, Holt Baptist Church. There, in the privacy of my bedroom, I saw I was a sinner in need of forgiveness that only Jesus could give. The question that I had struggled with in the correspondence course um, was... Um, when did I believe in Jesus? I couldn't give an answer. Well, now I could write it down. Um, and the answer I wrote was, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Though outwardly, it was 
hard to see a difference. That encounter with Jesus changed my life trajectory forever from judgment and doom to forgiveness and hope. Paul's life was also changed from being a prosecutor of Christians, uh, a persecutor of Christians, um, to a proclaimer of the, the hope of the gospel. Before our text, we see Agrippa, the king, and his sister Bernice arriving in Caesarea, and that's in Acts 25.13. That's, that's in the chapter just before chapter 26. Um, on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall of, uh, with military tribunes um, and prominent men of the city, Acts 25.23. Festus, the governor of Caesarea, explained that he found Paul had done nothing deserving death, so he asked King Agrippa to examine Paul so that he could write charges against him when when he sent him to Nero. Um, And Nero wasn't as bad at that time as he was later in his life, I should say. It is into this arena that the prisoner Paul was brought with the king and the dignitaries looking on. Some background on King Agrippa, this youthful king, he began his rule at age 17, um, was the last of the Rhodians to rule and was the great-grandson of Herod who killed all the Bethlehem babes, and the son of the Herod who killed the apostle James. It is later that this proud king was struck down by the Lord in Caesarea, the same town that they're now in, um, and immediately eaten by worms, if you remember um, our, our lesson in Acts 12. He was, that um, Herod, when he died, was 54 years old, and so his son, King Agrippa, took over at 17. The fact that his sister lived with him created a great deal of suspicion on the part of the Jewish people. Though they weren't married, um, it was unclear what was going on, and the Jewish law clearly condemned incest in Leviticus 18. Rome had given Herod Agrippa II um, legal jurisdiction over the temple in Jerusalem, so it was logical that Festus shared Paul's case with him. Paul looked at all these dignitaries, but he wasn't intimidated. It talks about him being bold Um, in his speaking. He wasn't intimidated by all the pomp of these important people. For God said in Acts 9.15 that he was a chosen instrument of mine, of God's, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings. 
even in this place, it was God's, um, God had given him a mission field. Um, when King Agrippa gives him permission to speak, Paul sincerely thanks him for hearing his case. And Paul knew that King Agrippa was an expert in Jewish religious matters and knew the prophets. So our, I, I have a title for the lesson today, and that's Hope for the World. And the theme is Hope Foretold, Fulfilled in Christ. And I have three C's in my outline because I was trying to make it easier to remember. Um, I have Paul's credentials for the first section of 1 to 11 and then his conversion. um, um, And that was 12. Oops. I didn't write it down here. Um, That begins with 12. Um, I think 12 to 18. And then his commission by God um, for the, the remaining part. So, number one, hope learned in Paul's credentials. Paul begins his defense by giving his credentials. He is a Pharisee, um, like Today, many are familiar with the moral teachings of Jesus, but don't know Jesus even in in the church. Paul's early life was known um, that he was a Pharisee. In Philippians 3, 5, he calls himself a devout Pharisee. He was also the son of a Pharisee in Acts 23.6. In Acts 22, we learned that he sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel Gamaliel? Um, in Acts 22.3. The Pharisees were strict observers of all 613 laws in the Law of Moses. They believed in the resurrection and of the coming of the Messiah. They thought of themselves as the separate ones. In fact, sometimes they didn't even mingle with Jewish people that they thought were not following the law correctly. It wasn't just Gentiles that they separated from. Paul says that he's on trial um, because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, Acts 26.6. The hope of the coming of Messiah. The 12 tribes, that is, all, the, all of Israel had been looking for the fulfillment of this promise. A few weeks ago, I was in junior church with Nathan Gearhart, and he was teaching about Joseph and taught that with each birth of a son, they would ask themselves, is this the one? But each time the son would fall short of being the Messiah. They longed for the fulfillment of this promise. 
Paul believed that that promise had been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection was proof that he was Messiah. Why would anyone think resurrection was incredible, he said. The Pharisees believed in it, and now God demonstrated it by raising Jesus from the dead. Here Paul means not only hope of life after death, but a the vindication of Jesus by God showing who Jesus is, the hope of Israel. Next, Paul describes his fanatical persecution of Christ. He had seen Christ as, he had seen Jesus as an imposter and felt that it was his duty to oppose any claims that Jesus was the Messiah he had promised believers, I'm sorry, he had punished believers um, and tried to force them to deny Christ. In Acts 26.10, we see that Paul had helped send Christians to their death by casting his vote, his registered vote, which was usually a pebble that they cast. Um which um, some commentaries suggested meant that Paul had been a member of the Sanhedrin, but it could also mean that he voted against them as a special representative of the high priest. Um, And we saw his connection with the high priest in Acts 9, um, 2 and 14, where he gets permission to go to Damascus um, and persecute Christians. What Paul did in his early years as religious zeal, he now considered raging fury, Acts 26, 11, raging fury or madness. Now his defense pivots to why Paul, as a persecutor of Christians, found himself on trial for the very reason that he used to persecute Christians. Where did this dramatic change come from? Paul had an irresistible encounter with the risen Christ. And so that's point point two, hope understood in Paul's conversion. Hope understood in Paul's conversion. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Paul was on his way to persecute more Christians and an unmistakable light shone down from heaven that was brighter than the sun. Paul hears a voice in Hebrew dialect and this is um, the one telling of the story where he mentions the Hebrew dialect that Jesus spoke in. One commentary said this suggested that Aramaic was Christ's first language. It probably was, but I think that it suggests here that Aramaic was Paul's heart language. He was a scholar of other languages, but his mother tongue was Aramaic. God speaks to our heart directly. 
yes, people can hear Jesus, hear about Jesus in languages other than their mother tongue. But hearing in a mother tongue is far more understandable. That is why missionaries learn the language of the people they are ministering to. And remember Pentecost. The people all heard what was being preached by Peter and the other apostles in their own tongue. Paul calls him by his Hebrew name, Saul, because Paul was his Greek name, and ask him why he is persecuting them and why he is kicking at the goads in Acts 26, 14. That is, why are you resisting? And Peter asks, who are you, Lord? Jesus identifies himself as Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Oh, I love this. Paul thinks he is persecuting the individual Christians, but Jesus sees the body of Christ, and he was persecuting him. The risen Jesus then gives his purpose for meeting him on the road. He says, um, in Acts twenty six sixteen through 18. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the, the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes that they may Turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. He received an irresistible call from Jesus. And that leads to point three. The hope proclaimed in Paul's commission. Just like the other apostles had been sent to witness for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, Paul is sent to proclaim the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles who are blinded by the darkness so that they may turn to light just as Paul had. Paul tells King Agrippa that he is not being disobedient to the heavenly vision he has received, but rather doing exactly what God sent him to do. As one commentary said, to be a light means to carry God's call and to fulfill Scripture by taking a message of forgiveness and repentance to the nation. So, to be a good Jew is to seek salvation for the Gentiles as well. The Jews had seized him in the temple and tried to kill him, but God continues to rescue him, which is a vindication for Paul that he is 
being obedient. So he can, um, he is being rescued so he can continue his mis- mission of testifying both to the small and the great what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. The Messiah must suffer and then be the first to rise from the dead. And he would continue to proclaim this gospel of Christ um, that was given to him to both Jews and Gentiles. Paul simply shared with others what he learned and experienced as a follower of Jesus Christ. His message was not manufactured for it was solidly based in um, Old Testament scriptures. We have to remember that the apostles didn't have the New Testament, but used the Old Testament to lead sinners to Christ and nurture believers. In Isaiah 49, 6, we read, I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Festus interrupted Paul in what he was um, saying and accused him of being mad. Ironically, Paul says that he was mad when he was persecuting the Christians, that he was um, raging fury. Um, Paul reminded Festus that the facts about the ministry of Jesus, including his death and resurrection, were public knowledge. They weren't hidden in a corner. Then Paul zeroes in on Agrippa and asks him if he believes the prophets. Surely he does. But Agrippa doesn't answer because he's afraid of the follow-up question. Do you accept that Jesus is the Messiah the prophets talked about? In an attempt to get out of a logical trap, he answers, In a short time, you think to make me a Christian? Which was a lighthearted response. Paul's response shows that his his longing uh, it shows his longing that all his hearers might become Christians no matter how long it takes. Paul had used his defense of his innocence to proclaim the gospel before whoever God brought into his life, small or great. Though Agrippa and Festus saw his innocence, they failed to see their need of repentance and forgiveness. They failed to understand the light that had, they had been given, the opportunity to turn from darkness. They thought they had power, but someday a judgment would come. King Agrippa, whose own father was struck down by God publicly, laughed off Paul's invitation to believe. Paul had been obedient to share the gospel. Their response was in God's hands. Have you had an irresistible call from the risen Messiah, the hope of Israel, and our hope? I pray that you have. What was 
your credentials, heritage, that helped plant seeds that prepared you for God's call? How faithful have you been with the commission of telling others that Jesus died to pay the just penalty for our sins and offers the free gift of forgiveness of sins and the eternal life through his resurrection and eternal life through his resurrection to all who turn in repentance to him. He is our hope to share with the world.